Well, good morning, church. Uh, it's great to be here. What an honor to finally get to be at Peak and First Church. And uh, thank you, Pastor Brian, for that introduction. You, I learned some things about myself I didn't know. Uh, he did mention to me that, or mention that I'm a, a grandfather of seven. And when Christy and I were, I'm, are we getting a ring here, a little echo? Um, when we were, found out we were going to be grandparents, Christy said, what shall we have them call us? And I said, well, what do you mean, like grandma and grandpa? And she said, well, yeah, but everybody uses the phrase grandma and grandpa. So I was thinking more like I wanted to have them call me Mimi. And I said, well, but that would make me pee-pee. <laughs> so maybe we could go with something else. And so I am officially... Uh, Poppy, and she is Gigi, so if you forget what my name is, uh, you can just call me uh, Pastor Poppy. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. Brian, thanks for this uh, privilege to speak today, and I learned some things about Brian yesterday that I did not know. Uh, first of all, I didn't know that he was really, really good at smoking pork chops, and uh, he is a really good smoker, so you can tell people that about your pastor. <laughs> and he was smart enough to, mar to marry Carol, and that, that goes a long way. And Carol makes an incredible coconut cream pie, which I had last night. So would you like to just thank the Lord for your pastor? And I want, I want to ask you to turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Isaiah 62, Isaiah chapter 62, and then also picking up with Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. I'm just going to read two verses there. I think there will also will appear on the screens. I want to talk to you this morning about being a praying Christian, being a praying Christian. Would you stand with me, please, as we honor the reading of God's word? Isaiah 62, verses 6 through 7. O Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen on your walls. They will pray day and night continually. Take no rest, all you who pray to the Lord. Give the Lord no rest until he completes his work, until he makes Jerusalem the pride of the earth. What an amazing statement. Give the Lord no rest. And then Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Lord, we pray now that your Holy Spirit will speak and that you will anoint uh, this, the words of, uh, that you've given to us. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, thank you. One of the benefits that I had in, of the COVID-19 pandemic was that I didn't travel as much. Usually I'm on the road about 70% of the time, and so to be able to be home and not get on an airplane for an entire year was a blessing, but it also gave me a chance to write. And during that time, I wrote a book called The Praying Pastor, and the basic premise behind the book is just this, that there's a difference between a pastor who prays and a praying pastor. Now, all, all pastors pray. 
It's in our job description. Pastors pray before meals. We pray at football games. We pray at potlucks. We, we pray in worship services. We pray on the phone. We pray by text. We pray in hospital rooms. We pray many, many, many times a day. But I can also tell you there's a difference between a pastor who prays and a praying pastor. Because you pray a lot doesn't mean that you're a praying pastor. And the same would be true about being a Christian. There's Christians pray every day, but it's not the same thing as being a praying Christian. A praying Christian is someone who lives in a, in a constant, continual state of fellowship with the Holy Spirit listening, praying, and being observant about what God wants to say. Paul called it praying without ceasing. It's a commitment to the secret life of prayer. Now, I was a pastor for 18 years, and and I I know there were seasons in my life when, when I was a praying pastor, but for the most part, my confession to you is that during that time, I probably was more like a pastor who prayed. I would pray every morning before I would go and start my day, but then if I were really honest, I would say that I just kind of depended on my own gifts and graces and my own uh, you know, affinities and, and discernment. It was really only in times of like crisis where I really found myself being a praying pastor. And God blessed my, the churches that I pastored. People came to Christ. There were people who were discipled, people called into ministry. We, just the churches grew. But, but if there's one regret that I have, if I could go back and pastor again, I can tell you that I would, I would want to be a praying pastor and not just a pastor who prayed. Well, now that I've been a general superintendent for the last 10 years, I've, I've discovered something. I have far less control over outcomes than I've ever had before. You know, when I was a pastor, I could change the, the trajectory of the church in a matter of a couple of months because I had access. I could, I could meet with people. I could have coffee conversations. I could preach. I could teach. I could cast vision. I could raise money. I could call board meetings. Uh, the people trusted me because I had been their pastor, but now there's two million Nazarenes that don't even know me. And, and so all I am is a figurehead maybe in their minds. And so I have far less control over outcomes, but here's what's interesting to me. As I have had myself in less control, I've also discovered a greater dependence on God in prayer. And I've discovered that just in my own life, just to say, Lord, if you don't do this, if this doesn't happen, it's not going to happen. But here's, what, here's the paradox of all of that. As I've become less, less in control and more dependent on God in prayer, I also have greater peace than I've ever had at any point in my ministry. Less control, more prayer, more peace. Now, I'm going to just, we're going to talk very practically this morning because I think this is something we have to really get our arms around. But I'm going to make you a promise. Sometimes when you hear that the pastor is going to preach about prayer, it's like you're saying, buckle your seatbelt. Because this is going to be, I'm just going to get guilted into why I'm not a good prayer and I should pray more. That is not going to happen this morning. What I do hope happens is, is that you will rediscover a passion and a desire to be a praying Christian. That's my hope. That's my prayer. It's a no guilt zone this morning. Are you okay with that? Amen. Thanks. All right. So here's what I want to talk about specifically. 
I want to talk about those passages that, that I mentioned to you and talk about the idea of intercession. What is intercession? Now, I'm going to make another confession to you. For years and years and years, even as a pastor, I had an idea of what intercessory prayer was. And, and my idea was basically this. It's vital to the church. Somebody's got to do it. But it's primarily for two groups of people, old people and monks. That's kind of my idea. I know I was wrong. But I thought it's for people who don't have full-time jobs, and it's for people who, uh, whose job it is to pray at eight hours a day. I was so wrong, because here's what I've discovered about what intercession is. To intercede for another person means to act in behalf of. To intercede means to stand in the gap for someone else. And you can stand in the gap for another person in intercession. And you don't have to be someone who doesn't have a full-time job or someone who lives in a monastery. And so I came up with my own definition because intercession seemed like such a big, mysterious word. I came up with my own definition of intercession. And here's what it is. I think it's going to appear on the screen. Intercession is to act in behalf of. I'm sorry. Intercession is specifically praying. Say specifically. Specifically, praying for those that God has providentially placed in your circle of relationships. And all of those words are chosen very carefully. The words specifically and providentially in your sphere and circle of influence. Sometimes people will say to me things like this, Pastor David, I, I, uh, I pray for all the missionaries in Africa every day. I say, Lord, be with all the missionaries in Africa. I'm an intercessor for Africa. Or they say, I pray for all the starving children of India. I'm an intercessor for India. And, and here's what I think. I'm glad that they pray for all those missionaries. I'm glad they pray for starving children in India. But that's not intercessory prayer. And the reason is intercessory prayer sees faces. Love sees faces. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said something really interesting. Look at this on the screen. It is clear that intercessory prayer is not something general and vague, but it's something very concrete. It's interested, and here's the word, in specific persons and specific difficulties and therefore specific requests. The more concrete my intercessory prayer becomes, the more promising it is. And so when you're thinking about standing in the gap for someone, you're thinking about people that you have connection with. Your love can see a face. And two things happen when you begin to pray in an intercessory way and you stand in the gap for another person. Number one, you receive a gift. The gift of intercession is to begin to pray with discernment for that other person to pray with discernment. You, you, be, you receive an awareness when you're standing in the gap. So there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom and discernment. Knowledge is just information. Knowledge has to do with your intellect. Knowledge has to do with your IQ. And there's some really, really, really smart people out there, way smarter than me, who, who have a lot of knowledge, but it doesn't mean they have wisdom. Wisdom you don't have to have any diplomas on your wall to have wisdom. 
Because wisdom is, is the, the practical learnings from life that you begin to know, here's how to live my life in a practical way. And so knowledge and wisdom are different. But here's what I'm coming to believe. You don't have to be a Christian to have a lot of knowledge. You don't have to be a spirit-filled person even to have wisdom. Wisdom comes from God, but it doesn't mean you have to be spirit-filled to have it. But I'm coming to believe in order to have real discernment, the ability to know the difference between good and better or, or the, to read the, the moment, to read the situation, to read between the lines, to know what to say, to know what not to say, that's called discernment, and that comes from the Holy Spirit. Oswald Chambers says this, one of the most subtle and elusive burdens that God ever places on us as saints, as Christians, is this, he calls it the burden of discernment concerning others. He gives us discernment so that we may accept the responsibility for those souls before him. And look at what he says here, form the mind of Christ about them. That's what discernment is. It's being able to form the mind of Christ about another person. And then look at what he says next. It's not that we're able to bring God into contact with our minds, but that we awaken ourselves to the point where God is able to convey his mind to us regarding the people for whom we intercede. That's what discernment is. God giving his mind to us about the people that we're standing in the gap for. Have you ever had an intercessor? And I'm not just talking about people who pray for you because lots and lots of people may pray for you, but an intercessor is somebody who stands in the gap on a regular basis for you in prayer. One of my intercessors, her name was Glayfree. Glayfree was the daughter of the previous pastor at Bethany First Church, whose name was Ponder Gilliland. And, and Glayfree, is an ama- he, she was an amazing teacher on prayer, and she was an amazing prayer. She's written books about prayer. In fact, there's a book that's about 30 years old now. If you go get it on Amazon today, I promise you that you won't be able to put the book down. It's called When the Pieces Don't Fit, God Makes the Difference. It sold hundreds and thousands and thousands of copies, but it's about the journey of the life of intimacy with Jesus. But when I came to be her pastor, Glayfrey had been bedridden for 10 years. She had a debilitating disease. She, she had not been to church in 10 years. But she still had this amazing intercessory prayer life. And so we had this special relationship in the one year that I was her pastor before she went to heaven. And that was, she would call me about twice a month and she would say, Pastor, here's what I think God wants me to say to you. I told my assistant, when Glayfree calls, I don't care if I'm in a meeting with the governor of Oklahoma, I went out of that meeting and I want to talk to Glayfree. And here's what those conversations would go like. Pastor, this is Glay. I've been praying for you all night long. All night long, that's what she would say to me. And she said, here's what I think God wants me to say. Here's what Jesus wants to say to you. And then she would proceed to give me one verse of scripture or one sentence or one word. Sometimes it was only one word. But I cannot tell you how many times in those conversations that I was, it it was, I, I couldn't believe how she knew where I was and what I was going through because she knew things about me that I had never told her. She knew things about my situations that I had not shared with her. 
And, and I was shocked. I just said, Glafrey, how did you know that? There's only one way that she knew. She was being given spirit-led discernment about me and my situations. Listen, if you don't, if you don't want somebody to really know you, don't ask them to be an intercessor. Because if they start standing in the gap for you, they're going to know things about you that you don't know that they know. Listen, you want to you know things about your children? You want to be a better parent to your kids? You become an intercessor for them. You stand in the gap for them, and God's going to give you a discernment into their lives that you could have in no other way. You want to have greater intimacy with your spouse? You become an intercessor for them because God will give you discernment to know how you can best serve your spouse. And so the gift of intercession is praying with discernment. Amen? Are you still with me? Number two, though, there's a power of intercession. And the power of intercession provides protection. When you stand in the gap for another person, you are in essence covering them with, with, a, with a protective prayer uh, uh, shield, okay? So, so it's like you're providing a ring of protection around a person. It doesn't mean that they can't fall away. It doesn't mean they won't be tempted. It doesn't mean they can't disobey God. But there's a special and unique prayer protection when you stand in the gap for someone else. Not only does it protect them, but it also gives them an awareness of potential dangers and landmines that they could have never known otherwise. How many times as a teenager was I in a situation where I just thought to myself, you know, I was in the middle of a tempting moment and I just had this sense of deep conviction in my heart or, or this awareness that this could be bad. Where did all that come from? Part of it was my conscience is the Holy Spirit working, but a big part of it was I think my parents' prayer covering over me was helping me to discern this could be a bad situation. I'll give you another example of a prayer intercessor for me. Her name was Joanne, and she was in another church that I pastored. Joanne was very different than Glafrey, but she was still, she stood in the gap for us. And I was just a young pastor when I came to be there, and I was probably in my early 30s. And she came to me one day and she said, Pastor David, I want you to know that I pray every day that God will protect you from sexual temptation. That's what she said. And I, I was a good pastor. I smiled at her. I said, thank you, Joanne. I really appreciate that. But I have to admit to you, on the inside, I was kind of giving her like an inner eye roll. You ever done that? Or you're just, really? That's what you're praying for? And here's what I thought. Joanne, why are you praying for that? Christy and I have, this, have a great relationship. We have you know, we, that's not a problem for me in my life. I mean, because my, we have passion with each, this is my, my life with Christy is good. Why would you pray for that? And then the Lord, a few days later, really checked me on that. And it was like the Holy Spirit said, David, who do you think you are? Do you think that maybe one of the reasons why that is not an issue for you right now is maybe because there's a person named Joanne who's specifically praying that it won't be? And so I went back to Joanne a few days later. I said, Joanne, listen, I'm sorry. I didn't take your, your requests or, or your prayers seriously, but please don't stop praying for me because your prayer is providing a protection over my life of something that could have become a problem. And so 
The gift of intercession when you stand in the gap for someone is discernment into their situation and the power of intercession is the protection around that person. Now I'm gonna move through these really quickly because I don't have a lot of time left. But now I'm gonna give you some really practical steps about how you can begin to be an intercessor for people in your life. Because here's the problem. Most of us don't even know where to start. When you think about all the things that you could be praying for, how do you know where, what you should, where you should start? So I'm gonna tell you what, what I've started with. Because if you don't know where to start, the chances are you're just gonna give up. So here's what I have done, and, and you can put this in as a, as a way to put it into your own life. Number one, here's where I think you begin. You begin with the people that you live with and that you know best. That's your first circle of relationships. That's your first sphere of influence. So if you're, if you're married, your spouse is your first stand in the gap person. If you have children, you stand in the gap for your children. If, if you're single, you, your roommate or your parents or whoever it may be. So I, I, I had a kind of a leg up on this because I grew up with a dad who was a praying dad. If, if we weren't really poor, we were close to it. Um, my house was so small and my bedroom was literally, it didn't even have a foundation on it. It, it was on stilts, I'm not kidding you. I could literally touch the, my, both uh, walls of my bedroom laying in bed like this. We were really poor. And right next to my bedroom was this little tiny kitchenette where every single morning for 18 years, my dad started his day by eating his breakfast and having his devotions and praying. My alarm clock for 18 years was hearing my dad pray for me by name. And sometimes I loved it and sometimes I hated it. But that's, so when I became a dad, I instantly knew part of my responsibility was to be a praying father. And it was not only my responsibility, it was my privilege because here's what the Lord was saying. Who knows Megan and Ben and Madison better than you? Whose responsibility is it to pray for them? Is it, is it their Sunday school teacher's job? Is it their youth pastor? Is it their grandma? Probably their grandma, but, but I knew it was my job and my responsibility. And so here's what I did for their entire lives. Every single day, I prayed for them by name and by situation. And I told my kids, now they're all grown, now I, they're, they're, they're adults, but I still say to them, when your mom and I die, we're not gonna be able to give you a lot of money. But let me tell you what we are going to give you as a gift is for the rest of your life, as long as I have breath in my lungs, you can be assured there's gonna be one person in the world who is praying your name to the Father every single day and specifically for your situation. My kids still call me and they say, Dad, here's, I know you're praying today, so here's what, I, here's what you can pray for me about. So that's where you start. You don't have to start by praying for the whole world. Start with the people who are closest to you. Why? Because God has providentially placed them in your circle of relationships. And then where do you go next? Number two, you pray for your colleagues and your ministry partners. So, you know, as a pastor, I prayed every day by name for our pastoral team 
or my Sunday school teachers, whatever they may be. If you work in an office, you pray for the people in the cubicles next to you. The neighborhood you live in, that's your sphere of influence. You pray for your neighbors. God doesn't maybe ask you to pray for somebody three miles away, but he is asking you to pray for the people that he's put in your sphere of influence. So, so that's where you start. Number three, though, because and I'm moving kind of fast here, but I want you to get these last two because these last two are, are a little more unique. You start with people closest to you. Number two, you pray for your, your next level of colleagues and neighbors. But number three, you pray for what is important to you. You say, David, that sounds like the most subjective thing I could possibly pray for. Because how do I even know that if I'm praying that it's not a selfish prayer? Like, what if I'm praying selfish prayers? Well, first of all, you start by just praying. And number two, as you continue to pray, God's going to begin to be able to change your heart and change your desires. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What does that mean? Does that mean that if you just stay committed to God that he's going to give you all the stuff you want, a nice house, a good job, good health, a good family. No, that's not what that means. I think what it means is I align myself with God and make God my first priority that over time, God will begin to put desires and passions into my heart for the things he wants me to be concerned about. When you live a sanctified, holy life, the very desires to do things for the kingdom are being placed there by God himself. Why would the enemy put things in your heart to do something for the kingdom? And so the very desires that you have, the passions that you have that are growing up in you are there not by accident. They're there because God has put them there. Have you ever been, have you ever been in a situation where you think, Every time I'm with that person, all they can talk about is foster care. I mean, I know foster care is a big deal, but it's like foster care this and foster care that. Why is that? It's because God has made foster care a desire of their heart. Or somebody else is talking about human trafficking all the time. I know human trafficking is a big deal, but good grief, that's all they talk about. Why is that? It's because God has made that a desire of their heart. And God's going to put passions in your heart, things that are important to you. It's not that all the other things aren't important as well, but it's because those are the desires he's put in there for you. So I told you that I had Christian parents. What I didn't tell you was from the age of 16 to 19, I was away from the Lord. And in fact, there was an entire year when I was 18, I, I didn't go to church except one time, and that was to get married to Christy. I was like the prodigal son of my church. Everybody was worried about me, and they had good reason to be worried about me. And, and what I didn't know was that from 18 to 19, there was a group of five men in my local church, five men who made a decision. They said, we're going to come to the church every Wednesday morning before work, and we're going to start that day for 30 minutes, and we're going to pray for one thing. We're going to pray for David Busick's salvation. And so for six months, those men went to the church. They didn't pray for the government. They didn't pray for people to get well. They prayed for one thing, for my salvation. 
It was the most miserable six months of my life. You want to talk about conviction. But, but listen, I'm so indebted to those five men. Because the truth is, God made me in my salvation the desire of their heart. And they stood in the gap for me in a time when I really needed somebody to do that. That's called praying for what is important to you. It's okay to pray for what's important to you. And lastly, you pray over divine appointments. Sometimes people ask me as a general superintendent with, you know, and basically overseeing the global work of the church, how do you even know where to start in your prayers? How do you know, you know, where to start in your intercession? And it's very simple for me. I believe God orders my steps. In fact, Psalm 37, 23 says, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. And then listen to what it says. He delights in every detail of their lives. Everything about your life, he delights in. Sometimes people, they have this, they're a Christian, but they're kind of like functional agnostics because what they do is they believe God kind of put everything in order, but then God's checked out and he doesn't really care about your daily life. He's not that involved. That's absolutely not true. I'm not talking about God cares about silly, insignificant things like God doesn't care. You know, you don't have to pray. Let me say it this way. You don't have to pray. Should I go today to Chick-fil-A or should I go to Cane's? Obviously, you're supposed to go to Chick-fil-A. You don't have to pray about that. But don't you think God is interested in the eternal significance of your life on a day-by-day basis? Don't you think he's directing that your steps are not random and by accident? What if every single day was full of open doors and opportunities for you? What if there were so many divine appointments that were there in your life, but we just didn't see them? What if God was bringing people into our lives on a regular basis for for us to be standing in the gap for them, but we just weren't paying attention? That woman who's standing at the Walmart checkout line and she's standing on that little pad because she's been there for 10 hours and she doesn't want to get shin splints. What if those three minutes with her was a stand in the gap moment for you? You say, I don't even know her name, but God knows her name. You have a three-minute interaction with her where you can be praying for her, thinking about her. God, you know what she needs. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people at the Walmart checkout line. What if that person who jogs by your house every day, what if that wasn't random? What if that was actually God putting them in your prayer sphere of influence for that moment and it wasn't by accident? You know, Jim Deal, how many of you know who Jim Deal is? Jim Deal told me one time, he said, David, don't forget that the Holy Spirit speaks into your life through checks and prompts. He said, the checks are the red lights. The checks are the moments where he says, stop, David. Don't do that, David. That's a bad attitude. Uh, Don't say that. Don't tell them. Don't share that. How many of you know you're not supposed to share everything with everybody? Those are the red lights. Those are the checks. The Holy Spirit impresses that on you. On the other hand, you also have the the prompts. Those are the green lights, he said. 
David say this, David do this, David uh, send that text, David give them some, something. Those are the prompts of the Holy Spirit. And you learn to listen to the impressions. You know, you might be driving down the road one day and you, and you look over and you see somebody in a truck and you say, man, does that look like Pastor Brian? Is that Pastor Brian? No, it's not Pastor, because that's an F-150 with a gun rack in the back. <laughs> so that's not Brian. But all of a sudden you can't stop thinking about Brian. And, and, now, and now you wonder, why am I thinking about Brian? Is it because the Holy Spirit has put Brian into your mind? And so what's your job? Your job in that moment, because you've been impressed by the Holy Spirit, is to begin to pray for Pastor Brian. Those are the impressions of the Holy Spirit. Be alert to the God happenings around you. Listen, I have a theory, and with this I'm closing. If every Christian in the world today, if all they would do was to be faithful to pray, for the daily promptings from the Holy Spirit and the people in their sphere of influence, you want to know what would happen? There would be an intercessory prayer covering of the whole world, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, and there would never be a moment where it wasn't covered by a blanket of righteous prayer. Now, I'm going to give you I'm going to take the pressure off of you. You don't have to pray for the whole world. Did you know the enemy can actually make your, your guilt about praying for the whole world a way for you not to pray at all? All you need to do is say, Lord, you put the desires in my heart. Help me to pray for my sphere, and I'm going to trust that you're going to have the rest of the world covered because there's, there's two billion other Christians out there that can take care of the rest. And here's what I know. I know this is important to God because of one simple reason. The Bible says that's what the risen, the crucified, risen, ascended, and coming Jesus is doing right now. The Bible says he is interceding for you right now. And if standing in the gap for you right now is what's most important to Jesus then I know it's important for us. Do you bow your heads? Lord Jesus, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is close and I pray that you will help us to become not just Christians who pray, help us to become praying Christians. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. Amen. amen.